Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast, here to talk about what happened yesterday in Dallas. Here's the mayor of that city today. The question is, can we as citizens speak against the actions of a relatively few officers who blemish the reputation of their high calling, and at the same time, support and defend the 99% of officers who do their job professionally, That's Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings speaking this afternoon. And just yesterday on the podcast, we were talking about two police shootings. Today, it's this. Five Dallas-area police officers killed, seven wounded. They were targeted by a 25-year-old gunman named Micah Xavier Johnson. And it's no exaggeration to say that this morning, people around the United States were absolutely shocked by this news. We're going to talk a bit about what happened and what it means. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And we've got Sam Sanders on the line. Hey, Sam. Hey, how are you guys? Sam, where are you? I am in Dallas. I'm in downtown Dallas. Got here about an hour ago, and I am at the corner of Maine and Griffin, just outside one of the police blockades here. Uh, And there are lots of folks that are gathered to kind of just see the scene. Um, Lots of folks have walked by and sat down just to watch and think and pray and talk to each other. I talked with one teacher who said she can't find a reason to leave, but she can't find a reason to stay. And she has so many thoughts in her head. She's just trying to figure what to think, you know? Where you are right now, is this this near where the shootings happened? Is this near where where the mayor just spoke? It's pretty near to both. Um, It's pretty much as close as I can get to the crime scene. And I walked here a, a few blocks from Thanksgiving Square where they had that service earlier today. Um, what's so strange about this, you know, you see all this morning, folks are in mourning, clearly. But the folks that I've seen and talked to say that they just want to use this moment and this day and this time to try to find some love and to find some unity. We heard from the Dallas police chief this morning, David Brown. He shared some information about Johnson before he had been named and was only a suspect. This is the information they learned trying to negotiate with Johnson before the police ended up killing him. The suspect said he was upset about Black Lives Matter. He said he was upset about the recent police shootings. The suspect said he was upset at white people. The suspect stated he wanted to kill white people, especially white officers. And this is David Brown. He's a black police chief in Dallas, where, as the mayor pointed out today, they've worked really hard on de-escalation procedures, on improving community relations. Here's what the police chief said about being a police officer today. Please join me in applauding these brave men and women who do this job under great scrutiny under great vulnerability, who literally risk their lives to protect our democracy. We don't feel much support most days. Let's not make today most days. You can just feel the sadness and the weight in these comments. I think that the terrible irony in this is that these were police officers that were protecting people's right to protest police. Mm -hmm. And as that night was going on, you saw tweets with people taking selfies with police officers. Uh, By all accounts, it was this very loving 
time uh, of a community coming together with with the police that were protecting people and and the people who were protesting. And then somebody who wasn't part of that really just disrupted it in a really, truly terrible way. And with Dallas PD, you know, they were so friendly to the protesters. They were live tweeting the protests themselves. You saw those photos that Tam spoke of. This police department had been known for the last few years in making great strides to decrease the use of force, to see a low rate of murders in the city. They had been doing seemingly everything right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the the point of Sam making there that uh, I was going to pick up on, because the idea that you have a police force that has tried to better community relations and seemingly done a fairly good job, especially after the big conversation everyone had politically and policy wise after Ferguson and the police shootings there. And so much of the violence that we saw there were between police and protesters, not some third party actor like we saw in Dallas. And I think that's what's so frightening and frustrating and has so many people on edge because it just takes one person to to terrorize an entire city, to terrorize an entire community. And, and, and this comes on the heels of the Orlando shooting. This comes on the heels of, of two graphic, terrible police shootings earlier this week. And I think um, as we take a look at to how the political world has reacted, I think you saw a lot of caution and a lot of concern from both Democrats and Republicans being really thoughtful about how they talked about this. When I woke up this morning, all I could think was, don't let this day be political. Like, Mm -hmm. don't let everybody go back into those same corners that they go back into every single time there's a shooting or I I mean, I I just did not want this to be one of those days. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it come through last night at 1230 and I just got a sinking feeling, though, that this could be uh, that there was a big fear that a country that has been going through an election that's been a pretty dark election that's been rooted in identity politics in a country that's really at an inflection point demographically to see it threatened to be torn apart weeks ahead of a convention or Mm -hmm. two conventions. Uh, As a political editor, I was sitting there thinking this this could be a huge problem. I mean, we're sitting on a powder keg of racial politics when it comes to these police shootings uh, in these communities. Uh, And I had a real sinking feeling. And that's, I think, why a lot of people look to their political leaders for the kinds of statements that, you know, maybe can show some guidance. Yeah. You know, so I actually started to watch the news of the shooting on Twitter. I saw the first tweets around 10. And then for about the next three hours, I was just glued to my screen emailing, tweeting, checking things out. And as much as we've been surprised by our politicians being pretty fair uh, and, you know, good today, there was a lot of just rough stuff to see online. You already see the words race wars being floated around. You already saw last night a man who was not the shooter be ID'd as the suspect. Yeah, yeah, Sam, you're talking about, just to clear that up, you're talking about an African-American man who the, the police department actually tweeted a picture of saying they wanted to talk to him. He, he was carrying a gun, as you're legally allowed to do in, in Texas, but it turned out he actually had zero involvement with this at all. No involvement. But this is just one of the ugly sides of covering news events like this in an age of social media. You know, having to watch it real time, uh, it was all kinds of emotions and not a pretty sight. Right. And I think, I mean, I I agree with that. It it feels like 
no matter what the shooting is, um, different political groups will react to it in different ways, whether whether the shooter is inspired by ISIS or whether the shooter is inspired by, you know, fringe neo-Nazism. It seems like no matter what the background is, people try to appropriate that in a way that and it happens almost immediately now through whatever their political lens is, really. Yeah. So let's, uh, I guess we could talk about this yeah. this all day because it's been such an ongoing feeling of anger and frustration in, in this year especially. But well, let's take a listen to what some of uh, our political leaders had to say. First, there was President Obama speaking from Poland. We still don't know all the facts. What we do know is that there has been a vicious, calculated, and despicable attack on law enforcement. Police in Dallas were on duty during doing their jobs, keeping people safe during peaceful protests. And uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan, a Republican, uh, spoke about this on the House floor Friday morning, too. Every member of this body, every Republican and every Democrat wants to see less gun violence. Every member of this body wants a world in which people feel safe regardless of the color of their skin. And that's not how people are feeling these days. And Newt Gingrich also talked about this on, uh, on Facebook. And, and Gingrich, we should say, is on the short list for, uh, for to be Donald Trump's running mate. It took me a long time and, and, and uh, a number of people talking to me over the years uh, to begin to get a sense of this. If you are a normal white American, the truth is you don't understand being black in America and you instinctively underestimate uh, the level of discrimination and the level of additional risk. Sam, what jumps out to you when you're hearing that? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, there, like, I remember there was a certain point in my youth where there still were, lar- were large portions of the country who kind of said, you know, race doesn't matter, I don't get what you're talking about, that's all over. And to see today politicians on both sides of the aisle, white politicians, people of color, all kind of accept finally that no this still does matter people see the world and live in the world differently because of the color of their skin and to hear someone like newt gingrich say that would we have ever imagined that 10 or 15 years ago from someone like him i don't think so uh domenico these statements uh from ryan from obama from gingrich uh not not in the same lines as 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 you you were saying you were worried about when when you first saw the news uh last night yeah you know and that's the effect that a political leaders can have. I mean, when they decide that they're going to try to call for unity and try to have some ability to calm people down as they look to guidance. I mean, I was struck by the fact that after one of the shootings in Minnesota, that people went to the governor's mansion because they wanted to hear what Governor Dayton there had to say. Whenever there's anything that happens, be it war or peace, you often see people marching to where leadership is, the people that you put your trust into, the people you vote for, for either accountability, guidance, consolation. It reminds me of being a parent, frankly. And when you look at your leaders and you say, Gosh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to my wife and say, like, who put us in charge? You know, like, <laughs> know really, we're supposed to be the kids. Yeah. Like, and I want to look to my parents for for guidance. And at certain points, real leaders stand up and have the ability to at least in the the days and weeks that follow something that could be a big potential crisis to calm people down. 
Uh, Tamara, that being said, two people trying to be the next president are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Can you catch us up to speed with with what we have heard from them and, and what sort of what sort of tone jumped out to you? Well, Hillary Clinton just did um, a, a round of TV appearances, and mm-hmm. we're expecting her to give a speech uh, soon. Uh, what stood out to me in, in her remarks, she she said these things before, but she said that she feels it's her responsibility to talk to white people about the privilege that white people have, about understanding the experience of other people. And, and I think we have some tape of that. And I will call for white people like myself to put ourselves in the shoes of those African-American families who fear every time uh, their children go somewhere, who have to have the, the talk about, you know, how to uh, really protect themselves when they're the ones who should be expecting protection from encounters with the police. I'm going to be talking to white people. Uh, I think we're the ones who have to start listening right. to the legitimate cries that are coming from our African-American fellow citizens. And she's talked about these themes um several times on the campaign trail uh, over the last year. Yeah, um, she gave this speech in Harlem a few months ago where she talked in depth about the problems facing black America and disparity, what white people have to do uh, to fix that. So, you know, we've seen her in many ways be more candid on race now than Barack Obama was at least eight years ago. And I think that's in part because she's a white person. And Tamara, Donald Trump put out a statement uh, today as well, and it was really striking in that it was a lot more traditional and measured and muted than basically anything we've seen from Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Yes, it it absolutely was. He also canceled a speech that he was planning to give. Clinton canceled a rally as well. Um, Here is Donald Trump's statement in part. He says, last night's horrific execution style shooting of 12 Dallas law enforcement officers, five of whom were killed and seven wounded, is an attack on our country. It is a coordinated and premeditated assault on the men and women who keep us safe. We must restore law and order. We must restore the confidence of our people to be safe and secure in their homes and on the street. But then he makes a turn. He gets one fact wrong, um, but it's a it's a really significant statement, I think, from him. He says the senseless and tragic deaths of two motorists in Louisiana and Minnesota reminds us how much more needs to be done. Right. He said they're senseless, tragic deaths. And he said that we're too divided, he said that the country and he called for love and compassion, not something you often hear Donald Trump talk about. You know, frankly, it's striking because you think about Donald Trump's candidacy has been something of stoking white grievance, frankly. And that's what's happened throughout his candidacy. You've seen hot protests at his uh, campaign rallies because of some of his rhetoric. Uh, And it's something that has really threatened any kind of unity in this country. I mean, this idea of the problem in the country being political correctness, for a lot of people, that has been a green light to say things that were otherwise seen as offensive, where now this, you know, facade of politeness is when that's taken down. It's sort of fascinating. His statement talks about love and compassion. Hillary Clinton was talking about love and kindness today. Sam, do you want to jump in? Yeah. You know, I also think what we're seeing now is... It's been a few years now where every few weeks or few months we see another video of a black person shot by police. 
And I think for a long time, people could say, oh, well, they weren't doing this right or they weren't obeying the rules. But after a while, if you see enough of those, regardless of what you think about policing or politics, you have to say something's wrong, especially with someone like Philando Castile. And, you know, we see this tragic video of his girlfriend having to deal with this. Like, there's really no way to deny the tragedy there. And I think what I'm seeing with the country overall is it's finally kind of sticking. We've seen so much of this, regardless of how you feel about politics, you got to say something's not right here. It's just not right. So, but here's the thing, and I know that the leaders today are being very careful, showing kind of unique restraint, frankly, in this political campaign uh, that we haven't seen. But eventually there is going to be talk of policy. There's going to be talk of what should or should not be done. And perceptions on race and whether or not blacks are treated fairly uh, in this country, there is a wide gap between how blacks and whites view that. I mean, just a recent Pew poll, when they asked perceptions of how blacks are treated, the percent saying blacks are treated less fairly than whites in this country. In dealing with police, for example, 50% of whites said that they think that blacks are treated less fairly. 84% of African-Americans said so. In the courts, was similar, 43 to 75%. And it goes on yeah. in a huge gap between how whites and blacks see issues of racial disparity. And, and we were talking about that in the newsroom the last few days as well. And I was just, you know, trying to sift through all this and thinking about it. And, and I was going through my head of every time I, as a white guy, have been pulled over by the police, I have had a very... Not pleasant, because it's not pleasant to be pulled over, but a very straightforward, a very not tense experience. And I know that is absolutely not the case with with uh, a lot of people. I mean, Sam, we've talked about that's not been the case in your life many times. Yeah, not the case for me. No. And I mean, I, I, it's, I do think, though, with those numbers that, um, that were pointed out, there was one number that said still 60% of whites think that they're treated better than blacks by the cops. I mean, that's still a majority of whites who say something's going on, right, Domenico? Yeah. Uh, 50%, I, I mean, but yeah. 50%. I mean, so that's still half of white people saying, okay, something's up. So it's um, moving in a direction that and maybe... It, it's moving in a yeah. direction. And I think that, like, what I hope comes from all of this is that there are conversations had between people that don't look like each other, and they're not yelling and shouting and just speaking to their experiences. Because if you're white and you've never talked to a black person about how it feels to be stopped by the cops, you don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. But, but President Obama has tried to have that conversation a <laughs> yeah. lot. He's tried to kind of see both sides of this issue. And when he makes a statement, he'll he'll talk about uh, the the good job that so many the, the majority of police officers do. And then he talks about the reality that people feel uh, unfairly targeted and and threatened by police. But Tamara, a lot of Republicans and a lot of white voters still feel like uh, Barack Obama has chosen a side on this subject and that he is not fair when he, when he takes a look at it. Absolutely. There, there's there been uh, some commentary out there, even, even today in this day when a lot of people took a rest, saying that this was President Obama's fault, that uh, by uh, weighing in early in his presidency on the arrest of a black professor by a, a white officer as the black professor was trying to get into his home, that and then there was the beer summit at the White House that by beginning that conversation, it was President Obama's fault getting this going. Of course, that um, uh, would would seem to be completely absurd and, and is not part of a mainstream viewpoint, we will say. It's coming from from fringes. But there there is something that's been circulating the entire time of Barack Obama's presidency that he just can't quite get it right on race. He is the first black president of the United States and 
people expect a lot from him. African-Americans. And it's not just, yeah, I mean, like, there are black voters and black citizens who say that he is too quick to call them thugs after right. protests or riots, right? Like, he sometimes can't win on either side. I think the perception of President Obama unquestionably as the first African-American president, you view him through whatever your lens and background is. And that is something, I mean, if you were to take the words that President Obama says, just the words, and put them in the mouth of a white male president, you would have very different perspectives and points of view and judgments of the way he talks about these situations or that president were to talk about these situations rather than having the first black president say those things. Sam? You know, so um, so I've been working on a story all about how race is playing out this election. And I talked with John McWhorter. He's a linguist at Columbia and he studies race and language. And I asked him, you know, when is this conversation going to get better? And he basically told me, the conversation you hear every day with your neighbors and your friends and the cable news about race, that's the national conversation about race. That's it. It's not going to get better. It's not going to all of a sudden become some different thing. The messiness, the fraught nature of it, that is what it will be. And so I think at some point we as Americans have to become comfortable with these conversations never actually being comfortable. And that might be hard. And that's kind of exactly what Dallas's mayor, Mike Rawlings, was saying at this uh, prayer service earlier in the day. Uh, A couple cuts that are worth listening to. We will not shy away from the very real fact that we as a city, as a state, as a nation, are struggling with racial issues. They continue to divide us. Yes, it's that word race, and we've got to attack it head on. In Rollins talk about the fact that, you know, this is a really tough challenge to deal with. Can we as a community truly and deeply understand the pain that racial discrimination and the greatest sin in America, slavery, has created through history? Right. Can we understand that? Yet accept God's grace of forgiveness and put yesterday's battles aside to address and build a city and a country that Dr. King dreamt of. And and Rawlings is white. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't we're talking about race. It feels relevant since this is audio. You know, I think what even further complicates having a conversation about race in America today is that it's no longer just black and white. We are becoming increasingly a diverse country. You think about the police force here in Dallas. The chief is black. Large forces like those in Dallas have very diverse police forces. At least one of the officers killed was not white. You know, I mean, so it's not just a black-white issue anymore. It's not just white cops, black shooter. Like, there are different people of different races at every level of of all this equation and it's it, it's just murky you know i think it's let's take a moment here we don't know the names of all of the victims but but we do know a few and it's let's talk about them one was brent thompson 43 a dallas area rapid transit officer he was a veteran of the afghanistan war and he had just been married a couple weeks ago to another officer also patrick zamaripa he was a father of two kids he also died he had served in the navy We're taping this at 4 o'clock on Friday, and and we don't know the names of the other victims yet. I mean, it's being a police officer is a really tough job. Yeah, I got a text message from my dad today. My grandfather, um, Don Keith Sr., was a police officer in Southern California his entire career. And my dad sent this text that said, I'm glad your grandfather isn't alive to see this. Um, 
And so I called my dad to say, what do do you mean? And and he said that, you know, the breakdown of trust between the police and the people they're supposed to protect is is something that my grandfather, a police officer, would have would have had a really hard time seeing. And then I, I asked my dad. You were growing up a kid. Your your father went out and he was a police officer every day. Did you worry that he wouldn't come home? And there was a worry, but the worry was about things like domestic violence incidents or a bank robbery. There wasn't a worry that that somebody would go in a parking lot and shoot down and target police officers. Yeah, we were talking earlier that that's a bit of a difference between police officers then and police officers now, because my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, uh, is a police officer as well. And, you know, she worries every night that he's not going to come home. Sam, you're in Dallas. You're talking to people who are just stunned, shocked, don't know what to do. These are people who are asking, who are looking for answers here. But I think one of the frustrating things is in terms of making sure things like this don't happen, in terms of making sure unjustified shootings of, of people who just have a taillight out don't happen, there are no easy answers. I mean, there's no there quick fix yeah. that, that could solve this on the congressional level or, or the presidential level. Yeah. I mean, I asked a few folks out here in Dallas just now, like, what should we do? And they all said, I honestly do not know. I don't know. And you think about this shooting, you think about Orlando and other shootings, what law would it take? I mean, we already have so much gridlock, so it's not likely to see any policy change on guns at all. But let's say we get past the gridlock. Is it mental health? Is it background checks? Is it gun buybacks? I mean, like, what would prevent these things? It varies from shooting to shooting, and no one has a clear answer. And a place that did spend a lot of time thinking about how to improve its policing is the city of Dallas. Yeah, you know, and they got hit with this. It's like, what do you do? I I mean, as someone who was following the story all last night getting depressed and now I'm here, the biggest feeling that that I feel and and I think people here are feeling right now is just confusion about where to even go next. And while we were taping this, we got another name of of an officer who was killed, Michael Kroll, 40 years old. Um, His sister Amy confirmed his death in a text exchange with NPR. Well, I think one thing that that a lot of people always do in a, in a situation like this is, is go to history from here. And um, that's where my mind went this morning. Tamara, I know you had similar thoughts. Uh, earlier this week, I'd actually happened to hear this. Um, Fresh Air did, a, did an interview with somebody who wrote a new book about Robert F. Kennedy, uh, New York senator, attorney general, killed when he was running for president in 1968. So many people say that this year is so seismically volatile that it reminds me of that year. That's a year where Robert Kennedy was killed. Martin Luther King was killed. Uh, the Democratic National Convention on live television was engulfed in violence. Just a year of seismic change. A lot of dark things in that year. But there's one thing that was actually a bright moment. That was actually a pretty inspiring moment. And uh, I actually, when I was incredibly sad this morning, I went to my bookshelf and pulled open a biography of Robert Kennedy and pulled open this speech to read it. And just to set it up, this is a moment where Robert Kennedy is campaigning for president in the Democratic primary. He lands in Indianapolis and learns that uh, Martin Luther King has been shot and killed. And he goes into a poor black part of the city where he had actually been told not to go. And he gets up on the bed of a truck and delivers this thoughtful, extemporaneous speech about coming together and about not being divisive. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. Feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. 
I mean, you know, it's so weird. I mean, so I haven't heard those words before, but to hear them this first time, they were so poignant and so touching. And I thought to myself, I haven't heard anything that moved me that much this election yet. I mean, I've been at a loss for politicians to really be, I guess, bigger than themselves. Rise to the moment. Yes, like this has been such, uh, in many ways, petty election with Twitter wars and insults and name calling. And I sure do hope that at some point this year, some of them just step up and give us that kind of leadership. What's really sad is that that was almost 50 years ago. And we're still dealing with a lot of the same kinds of uh, problems in the country. And these kinds of incidents continue to flare up uh, wherever uh, you have inequality and difference and people who live in their own bubbles without getting to know other people in there who live very close by. And it's 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 an amazing thing. And I'm not sure getting back to what you guys were saying earlier about what kind of legislation, how do you legislate your way out of something like this? It's I, it's not clear that you, that you do. I mean, I think that going to Kennedy's words about uh, compassion and understanding and truly having an open heart seems like the only real way you can actually bridge that kind of divide. All right. Thanks for listening. You can find more coverage of Dallas at NPR.org. And you can follow Sam on Twitter for some of his reporting from there over the next few days. Special thanks to Chris Benderev and and Barbara Sprunt for their help producing this episode on such a busy day. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.